So, my grandson Ryder, his favorite question is, when? When, Grandma? When? He likes to ask me, when is my birthday, Grandma? And I'll say, well, it's, you know, three months away. How many days is that, Grandma? So my math skills are pretty intact because I'm always counting down to November 14th. When, Grandma? When are we going to the toy store, Grandma? When? And if I say in about an hour or two hours, how many minutes is that? How many times do I have to count to 60? That's all he knows. A minute is 60. So he says, sir, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, two. I'm like, no, it has to be like a really slow one, two. You have to do each foot. One, two, three, four. And he's like, that's too long, Grandma. But if we're honest with ourselves, isn't one of our very favorite questions, when, when, when will this promise be fulfilled? I've got this promise, but Lord, when? I've been waiting five years. I've been waiting six years. I've been waiting five minutes. When, Lord, when? When will I be delivered from my enemies? When? When will there be alleviation? When will this be over? When will this come? When will I feel a sense of relief? When? That is just one of our favorite questions. We love timetables. I set timers. I have schedules. I usually, the first thing, during my devotions, I'm writing a schedule of all the things I have to do and when, when I should have them done by. Even the psalmist asked, how long, O Lord? And even to say it, it feels so long, doesn't it? How long? We like specifics, don't we? We want it down. Like, writer, how many times do I have to count to 60? How, how long is that going to be? What do you mean? Have you noticed how God rarely gives specifics? He doesn't usually say, well, now the day after tomorrow, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he tells you soon. And we're always like, what do you mean by soon? You said you were coming soon in Revelation. Are we talking 2,000 years? Are we talking, you know, 2,000 days? What are we talking? But God gives generalities. Because he wants the dependency and the daily dependency on him. He knows our tendency towards independence. He knows how we'll just take it and we'll run with it. Like, thanks for the schedule. I'll see you as soon as I get this accomplished. He knows that that's our nature. We'll just run with it. We often will take those specifics that he gives us. And we'll go out without his strength, without his power, and we'll try and accomplish for God. We are always trying to do for God instead of with God and by God. And he wants to do in and with and through us. Not not just simply by us, but with us, in us, through us. Abraham got some specifics. And just with those few specifics he got, right? You're going to have a son. What did he do? He tried to accomplish it by natural means. God didn't want his will, and he never wants his will accomplished by natural means. If he's going to do the natural means, he'll prove it. But he wants to do it supernaturally. He'll often close every door but the supernatural. And what do you say? Well, I guess we're stuck with you. You know, now that every door is closed, I guess I'll have to pray. I guess I'll have to seek the Lord. 
But God will do that to get our dependency on him. There's a play that I've always loved that was written by Shakespeare called Macbeth. It's probably one of the most gruesome ones, so don't ask me why I like it. It has witches in it. Don't ask me why I like it. But there's this man, Macbeth, he's um, one of the king's generals. And he runs into these witches, and they're like, boil, boil, toil, and trouble. And they prophesy over him that he's going to be the king of Scotland. So he goes home and he tells his wife. Well, within just days, the king comes and stays in their house. And his wife says, kill the king. Kill him. And then this is how you will become king. And Macbeth takes judgment into his own hands. He takes a knife. He kills the king. And he does become king, but only for a short time. And then, of course, he is condemned as a murderer. But Shakespeare leaves you with the question, would he have become king if he didn't murder the king? Would it still have happened, but without the bloodshed? And I believe in our lives, God gives us prophecies. He gives us promises. And when we try to fulfill those, there's bloodshed. But when we let the Lord fulfill those promises in his time, there is glory. And so the Lord will keep the timetable from us. The times and the seasons are in the Father's authority. We always want a certain date don't we? When a couple says, I'm engaged, you're like, when are you getting married? When? You know, give me the date. And if they say, well, we don't have a date yet, then you're not really engaged. You have to have a date before you're really, really engaged. Or we end up with an ultimatum. Lord, if you don't come through by Tuesday, I'm going to have to do it for them. And you know, my bank account's not as big as yours. You know what I mean? We just kind of like, well, if the Lord doesn't come through for you, come back and see me. That's crazy but I've said that because I'm crazy at times. But, you know, we're like that. We give the Lord these ultimatums because we're not trusting him with the times and the seasons. And when we end up doing it ourselves and taking the times and the seasons into our own hands, we end up with disaster. The disciples are no different than we are. In Jesus' final days, Before his ascension, here's these 40 days that Jesus is speaking to them pertaining to things of the kingdom. I mean, these are the most exciting eternal words by the victorious risen Christ. And you would think they'd be listening, right? But have you ever had something else on your mind so you're not hearing anything that's being said? You know, you're wondering if your husband likes dinner and he's telling you everything that went on in the office. You know, maybe even got a raise and you don't hear it because you're like, well, what do you think about the green beans? I did not differently tonight. <laughs> you know what I mean? We've got our own kind of thoughts and we're so concentrated on those thoughts that we're not hearing. And so here's Jesus and he's saying these exciting words. And sometimes I wonder if we're not told all those things that pertain to the kingdom of heaven because the disciples were so concentrated on Will you restore Israel at this time? You know, this is the question that they're like, okay, you're resurrected now. You've got all power. You know, nobody can defeat you. So now is it the time that Israel is going to be restored? But Jesus wants their concentration elsewhere. He does not want their concentration on the nationality of Israel or the end of Roman oppression 
or the restoration of Israel. Jesus wants them seeking God for the power of the Holy Spirit. Because God has higher purposes than just Israel. He's got greater goals than nationalism. And he wants to reach the world with the story of his son, not just Israel. God has a greater promise, a greater promise to them. And God's greater promise to them is God's greater promise to us. And this is the central theme of our chapter today. The greater promise, which is the promise of the Father and the baptism of the Holy Spirit to have the power to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. The book of Acts is written by Luke. He's a Gentile. He's the only Gentile author in the Bible. He's referred to by Paul in Colossians as the beloved physician, Colossians 4.14. So he was a doctor. Don't you just love that? Dr. Luke. You can call him Dr. Luke if you want. But he wrote this. And what I love about Luke is he is a doctor. He wants the details. A good doctor. He wants the details. Don't you like it how the doctors now sit there with computers and they're just typing in all your symptoms? It's like you want to make up symptoms and see what, you know, you don't have. But, you know, they're typing in and they look at you, you know, and... That's Luke. He's asking questions. He functions as an investigative reporter. I love Luke because he gives details. I love details. I want to know what it looked like. You know, Brian coordinates a lot of weddings. and I'm sorry, he performs a lot of weddings. I used to coordinate weddings. I want to know what the bride dress looks like. He says white. I said, that's not enough. <laughs> you know, and he thinks that's funny. I'm like, sleeves, no sleeves. He's like... Yes. What do you mean, yes? It had them or it didn't have them. I don't, can't remember. And you're like, Brian, you know, I want to know these things. Because Cheryl, do you really want me staring at the bride? I have to look at the groom, too. Equal time, you know? But, you know, I love details. And Luke is very detail-oriented. You find that he'll give you the details. He'll tell you who the rulers were. He'll tell you the time that it was. He will tell you the place. He'll tell you the road. He gives you details. I love it when it comes to the birth of Jesus. He tells you about the angels and the shepherds and Bethlehem and Mary and Elizabeth and Zacharias. And he gives you details that the other gospel writers don't give you. Church tradition has Luke going and interviewing these key people that he writes about and interviewing them. So he gets the fuller story, and he fills in the details. You've got Matthew and Mark. They wanted to get the gospel out. But Luke, having received that gospel, he says, let's fill in the details. Let's just add a little bit more. And Luke writes this account to his friend Theophilus, or lover of God. And Luke says, these are the things that Jesus began to do and teach. Don't you love it? He's saying, this is only the beginning this, he's laid the foundation in Luke, but that was only the foundation so that Jesus could work in even more exciting ways. The epic continues on and on and on. And here's the exciting part. We're all written in it. We're all a part of it. I love Psalm 139, where it talks about the book that is written about us. 
We are all in the books, the volumes of heaven, our story. And so what we have is Luke saying this is just the beginning. Acts ends abruptly when we get to the angel like, wait, wait. It's because it's continuing in your life and in my life. It's the never-ending story. And this is just the beginning. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 12, And greater works than these will you do because I go to the Father. And because I'm sending the Holy Spirit, greater works. You see, it's just beginning. There's more to follow. There's more to come. And Luke is so excited about the things that have transpired, the things that he's seen, the things that he's heard. He's excited about the resurrection. And he says this, many infallible proofs that Jesus showed himself alive to the disciples by many infallible proofs. In other words, Luke is saying, you all know these things. Don't you wish he'd written them down, though? But he's saying, you all know these things. Why? Because he was living with those and talking with those that had talked with, touched, heard the words of, seen the risen Lord, and even eaten with the risen Lord. He said, I don't have to go into detail. There are so many. It's so evident. It's so undeniable. It's so multitudinous. So many infallible proofs. So here is Mr. Detail saying, I don't have to give you the details because it's so obvious. The only time Mr. Details does not give details is when it's so obvious you saw it for yourself. And that's what he's saying, many infallible proofs. He talks about the ascension of Jesus into the clouds of glory with angelic witnesses. I believe that the disciples were just watching Jesus till they couldn't see him anymore as he rose into heaven. I know this feeling because just four weeks ago, I, and I told you my, my daughter flew off to New York to live, and I stood at the very top of the parking structure of LAX and waited for her plane to take off. I watched her till she got through security, you know, from downstairs, just watching till she went all the way through security. I was with a group of people, and my husband was part of that group, details, okay, and Kelsey and her husband, John. And then we went, and we stood on the top of the parking structure, and we watched till her plane took off until we couldn't see it anymore. And you know, I wish there had been angels that said, this same Christian that you have seen will come again. <laughs> as you have seen her go, back on an airplane, she'll come back to you. But as I watched it, I was thinking, even at that time, of the disciples watching Jesus. And I think if it hadn't been for those angelic witnesses saying, don't worry, he's coming again and it's going to be glorious, that it would have been too much to bear. But those angels said, guys, the story's only going to get better. This same Jesus that you have seen go into heaven in the clouds is going to come again with great clouds of glory. Jesus said, if I go away, or since I'm going away, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be also. In Matthew, Jesus said, I'm coming again in great clouds of glory. In Daniel, 
we see Jesus, Daniel chapter 7. We see Jesus, the Son of Man, coming in the clouds of glory and standing before the Ancient of Days in all authority. And all the kingdoms of the earth are given to our Jesus. Oh, Luke is so excited. And he says, Theophilus, I want you to know these things. I don't want you to be in the dark. I want to give you the details of all that Jesus is still doing. Luke also reminds Theophilus or tells Theophilus of Jesus' final instructions to the disciples, which was, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, for you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. John indeed baptized you with water, but you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from hence or very soon. Don't you think the disciples are like, when? When? And I think he's saying, soon, soon, just soon, just wait there. So how long do I have to wait? You have to wait till soon. What is soon? Soon is the length you have to wait for. Wait in Jerusalem. Now, in the Jewish culture, only Gentiles were baptized. Now, if you were a Gentile and you believed in the God of Israel and you wanted to serve the God of Israel, then you were baptized into Judaism and identified then with the Jews. You were washing away your Gentile heritage and you were claiming by being immersed a new heritage with the Jews. So when John came baptizing with water, the Pharisees were shocked. They were saying, no, 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 no. We're Jews. We're the children of Abraham. We don't need to be baptized. We're already Jews. But John is saying to those in Israel, you've lost your identity. You've lost your identity with God. You've lost your hope, and it's time to be identified directly with God. And the only way you can is you need to be washed. You need to admit you're a sinner. You need to confess and be looking again for your Messiah. But that baptism had no power. It could identify you, again, as a Jew or somebody who was looking for the Messiah, a baptism of repentance. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've done wrong. I know I don't have any right to the promises of God. And saying, I want to be identified with God. I want to be identified with those Israel, meaning ruled by God. But it had no power to keep you from sinning. That baptism had no power to hold you. But Jesus said, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This word baptized is the Greek word baptizo. And I love this. It means to overwhelm or be immersed or submerged as a ship that is sunk in the depths of the ocean. You will be submerged in the Holy Spirit. Does that sound good to you? That sounds so good to me. Just sink me deep, Lord. Put me on the ocean floor. We'll be submerged. This is the promise. You'll be submerged. You'll be overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. And what will that result in? That will result in the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses. Now, witnesses is not just that I have a clear presentation of the gospel. 
Witnesses goes deeper than that. It means I'm a living witness. I'm acting it out. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, they're flowing through me, and I'm demonstrating these things. It is the work of the Holy Spirit is active in me, and I am acting not, you know, and it's not like I'm pretending to be Jesus, but he is active in me. And divine things are going on in my heart and my mind and my life. I am overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. And I've got this power where I couldn't resist sin, where I couldn't say no, where I had no power, where I was losing my temper and losing my witness. Isn't that the worst? I mean, it's not like I'm always filled with the Holy Spirit like I should be. I was walking my dog thinking about the wonderful restraint of Jesus Christ and how good the Lord was. This is three years ago, so I've changed a little bit. And I'm walking my dog, and this man on this bicycle is over in my lane, and he's coming over, and he goes, Woman, grab your dog. And I said, Grab your mouth. (laughs) That quick. As I'm in the heavenlies thinking about Jesus, oh, what divine restraint. You're so good, Lord. And all, you know, Woman, Grab your dog. Grab your mouth. <laughs> but you know, it didn't stop there. He goes, you shut up. Like that. He said that to me. And I said, you. He's behind me. You shut up. <laughs> where, where were we, Lord? Divine restraint. <laughs> I need a power to be a witness. And I realized it then. In fact, I started laughing. Because I was like, oh, Lord. Obviously, I don't have your restraint. Obviously, I need more of you and less of Cheryl. So that part that just did all that, kill it. Just put it to death, Lord. Because I realize it's in me and it's got to die. Like, don't you insult my dog. You know, come on. I know she's neurotic. He could see it too. But nevertheless, you know, we need to be filled to be a greater witness, to have that power over the temper. Not us going, okay, I'm not going to explode, I'm not going to explode, but the Lord coming through and keeping us from it. And we're like, wow, I didn't explode. What you doing, Lord? You know, what are you up to? That's the power. It's a divine power that we're submerged in, that it's the Lord doing it. Remember in John chapter 21, when they fished all night, they used all their own efforts, all their own expertise, and they caught nothing. And Jesus shouts from the shore and says, children, have you caught anything? And they shout back, nothing. And he says, cast your net on the other side. And when they do, the net is bursting with 153 large fish. And John looking at it says, it is the Lord. You see, that's our lives. Without the Holy Spirit, we're casting that net out. We're doing our best not to lose our temper. We're doing our best to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And every time we drop that net, it's absolutely empty. Our best efforts are leaving us with empty nets. But when the Lord is working in us, it's filled. It's filled and everybody knows it's the Lord. That is so not you. God's got to be working. Brian was known for having a really bad temper before he got saved. I have not seen it, and I have gotten him to the place where he, you know, I've tried. I've done my best to see that, you know, like, what were you like before you were a Christian, you know? Um, But he was known for having a really bad temper, and he used to beat people up. He was a Golden Gloves boxer, 
And he would lose his temper on the beach, and somebody would cut in on a wave, and everybody would just stand back. And if somebody had a grievance, they'd say, hey, these guys picked on me, and Brian would just go deal with it. And he was not, um, he was so filled with anger before he accepted the Lord. And he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and he'd been witnessing to this guy named Gordon a lot. And now it's Brian's birthday, and it's New Year's Day, and they go surfing together. And this this other surfer takes his board, and he purposely um, throws it into Brian because he was jealous that Brian got this wave. So Brian's coming down on this wave, and this guy takes his board, and he shoots it at Brian, and the front of the board hit Brian's ankle and split it open. It's this New Year's. This is New Year's Eve. This is his birthday, New Year's Eve. And Gordon's thinking in his mind, that guy is dead. I know Brian. He said, I used to, he said, Brian was my friend, but I was scared to death of him. And he said, I thought this guy is dead meat. And he said, the guy starts paddling over to Brian, and Brian's ankle is just bleeding. And, you know, Brian fell off his board, and the guy comes over and he starts just cussing at Brian. And Brian looks at him and he goes, Jesus loves you, man, and I forgive you because of Jesus. And Gordon's like, whoa. That's not the Brian I know. So then Brian and Gordon, Gordon has to drive Brian to the hospital because Brian can't drive because it's, it's his right foot. They get to the hospital. They're, they're shooting right into the, the, the you know, thing. They're cleaning it out because of the sand. And Brian's witnessing to the doctor. He's saying, man, Jesus loves you. And, you know, the guy's asking what happened. Oh, a kid. You know, he didn't know. And Gordon's like, this is not the Brian I know. This is not the Brian I know. So after uh, Brian got his stitches and they had the crutches, he said, uh, Brian said to him, so Gordon, will you go to church with me tonight to Calvary Chapel? They're having a service. And Gordon said, I'll go anywhere you tell me to go. (laughs) That night, when my dad gave the altar call, Gordon went forward and accepted the Lord. He's a Presbyterian pastor now. But what I'm saying is that's the difference of the Holy Spirit. What you can't do, the Holy Spirit can do. The one was a baptism of water. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a Messiah. I need a, I know, I need a Messiah. Well, I talked about the Messiah complex. I know I need a Messiah. But this baptism is a submerging in the Holy Spirit. It's a greater work to be a witness. And, and the witness, again, with our lives and with our words, begins in Jerusalem, in your own home. You know, I think it's harder to be a witness in your own home than any other place, isn't it? Because they see you in the morning. (laughs) A witness in Samaria, in your community, in your neighbors, in your neighbors. Okay, I'm doing really well. Start praying for me, women. A witness in your Samaria. This is your community, where you live, but then to the uttermost parts of the earth, wherever you go, you're a witness to Jesus Christ. Wherever you go, there's a draw. There's a drawing. And people are drawn to you. They just start talking to you, and they say, I don't know why I'm talking to you. And you're like, I do. I know why you're talking to me. There's that drawing in, and there's that witness, that ready word from the Holy Spirit that he's speaking through you. Now, the disciples' response to these instructions, tarry in Jerusalem until you receive it, is when. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? 
Right now, they want deliverance. Right now, from Roman oppression, can it stop? Right now, they want restored nationality. But Israel is not ready for this. Remember, this is the government. This is the religious leaders that crucified the Messiah. They're not ready for this type of power or relief without the acknowledgement and seeking of Jesus. They're not ready for this type of freedom, and they're not ready for blessing yet. It's not the right time. And so Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times and seasons which the fathers put in his own authority. Their concentration was on when, when it should have been on the Holy Spirit and having a receptive heart to the promise of the Father. Some things are not for us to know. Like again, when is this over? We are always rushing through life or rushing everything along. Don't you find that to be true? You know, I was standing in a train station in England just watching the clock tick by. The train was five minutes late. And all of a sudden I realized, when this train comes, I'll be five minutes older. And then I wanted the train not to come that quickly. You're like, it's okay, take your time. And when I got on that train, I was five minutes older. But, you know, we're rushing. We rush everything in our lives. We're so into our schedules. Oh, wait, it's, it's 10.15 and I don't, uh-uh-uh. We're rushing everything. But we're, we need to let God set the times and seasons of our life because God's greatest blessings require waiting. We're not waiting for the win. We're not supposed to wait for the win or the alleviation, but for the who. We are to wait for the Holy Spirit. Again, God does not want us getting, just getting over a situation, having a, you know, just alleviate it. He wants to give us victory in the situation. He wants to make us more than conquerors. He wants Roman oppression and lack of restoration, the things that haven't happened yet, to be irrelevant to what's going on in our lives. You see, we let the oppression, these other things, have too big, too big a say or a hold on our life. We're like, well, when that oppression is over, then I'll really serve you, Jesus, don't we? When this thing is over, then I'll do it for you, Jesus. And the Lord says, no, now, now, before any of these things change, I want to fill you with the Holy Spirit so that the oppressors in your life so that the insufficiencies in your life become irrelevant to being a witness and the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And that's what we'll see in the book of Acts. As the disciples are filled, they no longer care about the Roman oppression. It means nothing. In fact, Roman oppression and the lack of restoration to Israel become the fodder or the means by which the gospel gets out. They're going to use Roman roads. They're going to use the Roman language, which was Greek of that day. And that's going to help get the gospel to the world. But until we are filled with the Holy Spirit, those things have a a stunting and thwarting effect in our life. And so we find ourselves saying, win, 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 win. And the Lord is saying, no, I want you to ask And wait to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're not waiting till there's an alleviation of our circumstances, but we are waiting for the promise of the Father. And this, we are not to try life without divine power. 
We are not to do this life without divine direction, and those things come with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But what are we to do while we wait? Well, there's three things in this chapter that we see that we are to do while we wait. And the first thing is wait. Wait while you wait. The first thing is wait in Jerusalem. Wait in Jerusalem. Now, I don't know what your Jerusalem is. I don't know if your Jerusalem is an emotional place. But sometimes we're supposed to, you know, the, it's the place where we were last with Jesus, where we really sensed his presence and we, we just knew, and, and this is Jesus. Where was that place? Maybe it was an emotional place. There was a place where you were emotionally. Maybe it was like you were, you were just, you know, singing all the time. You were going to church all the time. It was an emotional place where your heart was. Maybe it was an emotional place. Maybe it's a place that is physical. Maybe it's the Lord saying, don't change jobs yet. I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit right here. And you're saying, Lord, when, when can I have a new job? <laughs> when can I have more money? And the Lord is saying, wait, wait. Maybe it's you're thinking about selling your house, and the Lord is saying, wait. You need to wait in that place. Maybe wait in this marriage. Maybe wait without the marriage. It's a place where you need to wait and say, I'm not moving from here until I receive the promise of the Father. I have a special place that when things get very anxious for me, I go to that special place, I'll tell you. It's at Crystal Cove. And there's just this one place where I go, and I can see the ocean on both sides, and I just sit down, and I just wait. I wait till I have this sense that Jesus has heard me, and he's with me, and I don't get up. I've been there for hours before. I've gotten so sunburned that I'm peeling before, just waiting. But I'm not going to move. I'm waiting till I have the grace, till I have the strength of the Holy Spirit for the situations in my life. And that's a place I resort to. There um, recently, um, I'll just be honest with you, there are people that are trying to get rid of of me, trying to get rid of Brian, and um, writing out papers and doing all these things. And you're just kind of like, I don't quite get this, right? And I don't, this is the first time I've told it publicly, please don't tell anyone. But um, I had this woman, Joanna, and she doesn't know anything that's going on, and she turns to me and she says, you're not to go anywhere. And if God wanted to move you, this is not the way he would do it. And I said, do you know you're prophesying to me? She goes, yeah, because I don't know why I'm saying this, but I'm telling you, you're not to go anywhere. You're to stay. Until the Lord says it's time and you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're not to go anywhere until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, it's not safe outside the front door of your house until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're not safe. You're you're not empowered. Your flesh is not safe. We need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So the first is to wait It might be a devotional place for you. It might be a promise that God has given you and you said, you know, I haven't felt the Lord speak to me or since the Lord speaking to me since. What is that passage? Go back to it, read it every day. 
You can stay there in the Word of God. I remember reading through Philippians, and I just finished the book, and the Lord said, go back. Wait in this book. Wait here until I fill you with the Holy Spirit. We were living in England at the time. I went through Philippians something like 20 times. It was just the place I was to wait. Brian has a little notebook that he keeps with promises that God has given him. And every time he gets in one of those those places where, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. I'm feeling empty. Because we all go through like, Lord, (laughs) right? Whenever we start asking when, that's the time to go back to the promises. That's the time to go back to Jerusalem. That's the time to start waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit. And he goes to those promises that are in his promise book. Maybe it's a chapter of the Bible. Maybe it is your favorite Bible story. You can go back to it, okay? And you can read it over and over again. Secondly, while you wait, pray. Pray. I love, you know, to turn my thoughts into a dialogue to God. I just start talking to Jesus in my thoughts, sometimes out loud. It, I'll tell you, it keeps your thoughts pure, keeps your thoughts clean as you just talk to the Lord. Seek the Lord, praise the Lord, worship the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Sing with others. I love the diversity of people in this group. There's women. There's Marys. That means older women. There's Jesus' brothers, younger men. There's the disciples. There's 120. It's a diverse group, and they're meeting all together, and that's part of prayer. Part of prayer is fellowship, meeting together. It is so good that while you wait, you come to church. And you meet with others. Because you see that you're not alone when you come to church, too. We're all waiting. We all need the Spirit. And so here we are, waiting together for the promise of the Father. And how long do we do this? We continue in prayer until you receive. It said that they kept meeting continually. They were just meeting day after day after day. It says, pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Keep praying. Don't let up. Don't let up until the answer comes. And even then you have to pray that it holds, right, for time? <laughs> that prodigal that gets saved and you're like, oh, hold them, hold them tight, hold them, hold them, hold them, hold them. Then they get married and you're like, oh, save the marriage, help the marriage, bless the marriage. And then they start having children. Oh, bless them financially. Help them financially. Bless. You know, it never stops. It gets worse. The prayers like increase in intensity. But, you know, don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. Don't let up. Don't ease up. In fact, press the gas pedal on prayer. Get more intense in prayer. That's what we're to do while we wait. Pray. Pray with one accord. I love how prayer unifies us. You know, when you're praying with a group, it, the Holy Spirit comes and he unifies the desire. So in that group, they are all praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the promise of the Father. They don't even know what it means. They're, they're all kind of surprised when it comes. They don't know what it means. But this is what they're praying for. And they're all praying for the same thing for themselves and for each other. Isn't that beautiful? That's one accord. When I I not only want all the promises of God for me, I want the promise of the Father for me, but I want the promise of the Father for you. I want us all to have it and to go forward and to be empowered. 
When we're praying together, it unifies us in the purpose of God. It centers us, and it removes self-objectives. Finally, seek to apply God's word to your life and circumstances. Peter gets up, and what does he do? He matches Judas and the situation with Judas. He puts it in the context of scripture and says, wow, this is exactly what the scripture said in Jeremiah 32, 6 through 9. It's exactly what the scripture foretold in Zechariah 11, 12 through 13, Psalm 41, 9, and Psalm 69, 25. He said, this, this is the scripture. This is what the scripture said. Here's the context. Do you know you can find the situation and what's going on in your life in the pages of scripture? You can find somebody else who has gone through what you're going through. You can, worst comes to worst, find Job. That's when it's really bad. But you can find your story in the pages of Scripture. This morning, I found my exact situation in Psalm 64. I'm reading in the Psalms, and I'm like, Lord, this is my life. This sounds just like the people I'm dealing with. And this is exactly what you've told me to do. You will find your life. You will find your prayer, your heart cry, your situation in the Psalms and in the pages of Scripture. And that's what Peter did. He found that situation in the pages of Scripture and says, this is what the Bible says to do. And so this is what we're going to do. When you're waiting, apply the scripture. Find yourself in the scripture. Find your situation in the scripture. Find your doppelganger in the scripture. That person that's gone through the same thing that you're going through, find them in the scripture. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to all men. In 1 Corinthians 10, 11, it says that the scriptures were written for our admonition that we through the scriptures might have hope. In these scriptures, you will find similar dilemmas, trials, enemies, and circumstances to what you are going through. Now, Peter sought to follow the scriptures and do what the scriptures said. It is so important why we wait, that we apply and obey the principles, and the instructions of Scripture. Now, there's some controversy over what Peter did in choosing Matthias and the casting of lots. And we'll find that later, after they're baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, they don't cast lots again in the book of Acts. In fact, the Holy Spirit speaks specifically and says, separate unto me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work that I have in Acts chapter 13. The Spirit's not saying, okay, Take four guys and then cast lots and see which ones I want to send on the first missionary journey. It doesn't happen anymore. It's specific. It's very clear. But here they're casting lots. But this is what I want to say. The scripture doesn't say, well, they shouldn't have done that. You know, Paul is actually the apostle that God chose. It's quiet here. And I think that God is saying, you know what? Maybe Peter got it wrong, but he was seeking to apply the word to his life. And that is a good, good thing. Even if we sometimes get it wrong, even if sometimes we go too far, it is right to apply the scripture to our life. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent 
to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth or rightly applying the word of truth. To put the Bible and the scripture right where it belongs. In fact, we're told in Hebrews that the person who is mature in Christ knows exactly, chapter 5, knows exactly where to apply the word of God knows exactly what scripture is right for this situation. Have you ever been with somebody and, you know, it's just a, you know, it's a, oh, it's a trial. That was, oh, that's my other word for trial. Oh. <laughs> In fact, my, my car alarm, I call it my booper. My hand blender, I call it my, it's my other language, not my angelic one, just my kitchen one. It's rightly applying the word of God where it goes in our life. And there is something to be said about those who can come along and and you're going through this trial and they just say this word or this scripture and you're like, that's it. That's it. I remember um, I I was at someone's house for dinner and they had a whole group of people. And this young man comes up to me and says, um, I was wondering if you do our retreat for our young girls. And I said, what is the subject? And he said, surrender. But it wasn't like that. I was going through a trial in my life, and it was like his voice went, surrender. You know, he was like, I'm looking at him. And he's like, surrender. Like, he didn't think I understood. You know, and I'm like. Because I knew that was the right word. And so what did I say to him? Of course I'll do it. I will totally do it. Because I knew the Lord was speaking to me, even as he said it, saying, surrender. Do this. There, there is that right word. There is that scripture. There is that promise that we are to keep applying to our lives, the scriptures, while we wait. While we wait. God wants us waiting for the greater work that comes only through his Holy Spirit. Only. No other means for what God wants to do in our life. No other source. And the issue is not when. When the circumstances in our life will be alleviated or over. The question is not about the times and the seasons of our life. Because God has perfect timing. He knows exactly what needs to be done when. He knows the when, the perfect when. For us, the issue is being ready to receive what God has for us. In fact, as I said before, God will allow oppression to continue at times. Restoration will be withheld to get us to seek him, to get us to press into him, to get us to wait on him for the greater power for the greater work, for the greater witness. Because sometimes if we're restored, if the situation is alleviated, you know what? We're going to go on our merry way and never learn anything and never be filled with the power of Jesus and never have any eternal work done. So God will allow, he will allow circumstances and hard times to press us into seeking and asking and waiting. He will get these disciplines of waiting in Jerusalem, staying put. The discipline of prayer, 
and the discipline of studying and applying the word of God, he will get those so saturated in our lives. And then he will send the power of the Holy Spirit. Because he's got so much, so much for us to accomplish. You're forgiven. If Siri didn't ask so sweetly and humbly, it might not happen, but she did ask humbly. God has something so much greater for us to accomplish. You know, he doesn't want just this situation gone. He wants a greater work. He wants us totally dependent on him, but he needs us getting used to these spiritual disciplines of being in the right place, of praying in absolute dependency on him, of applying the scripture and living. As Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He wants to get us in that dependency on the word of God and on prayer before he's going to give us the Holy Spirit. But he wants to anoint us with his promise. In Luke eleven thirteen, Jesus said, How much more will the Father give you the Holy Spirit? How much more? The Father longs to give you his promises, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is what he's longing for. But you need to be in the right place, emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually. You need to be in prayer, asking. You need to be applying the word of God in your life and getting ready for it. Because he wants to fill you with that power. But if you're not in the discipline of prayer, if you're not in the discipline of the word of God, if you're not on the discipline of when he says, stop, stopping, wait, waiting, then you're dangerous with power, aren't you? You can be very dangerous. He wants to get you in the place. So what time is it now? It's time to start waiting on God with the expectation, not of when will it come, when will these circumstances be alleviated, but the power, Lord, baptize me with the Holy Spirit, anoint me, baptize me, submerge me, fill me. God wants you to receive the power of his spirit. It's not a question of when, but of waiting. And it's not a question, how long do I wait? You wait until, until the Father says, it's time. It's time. So, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? I want to urge you, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you. Oh, Lord, that you haven't left us to do life alone. Lord, that you are with us by your Holy Spirit. We thank you that when we received you, we received him. But, Lord, we realize that we need greater power. Oh, Lord, sometimes we feel so overwhelmed by our circumstances. Lord, we feel so pressed down and out of shape. Lord, we feel like we need our souls restored and our lives restored. And there are things that we feel that we've been robbed of by the world, Lord Jesus. But, Lord, we understand that you want to make us victors even in 
and even under, Lord, that we might triumph in and over, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would teach us as women how to wait, how to truly wait for the promise of the Father. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.